Live from the Swan, this is Drill Trains of Thought. Tim, so I think we're underground. Well, it's weird though, because that window looks like it's daylight outside. Well, I know, but the, do you see the tunnel over here? Yeah. And why is all the records like, why just records? Well, from the 1970s. I, I mean, know. if it's vinyl, that's one thing. Wait, you hear that? It sounds like something beeping. Um, That doesn't sound good. Oh, well, I think there's someone in the room over there. Oh. I think you just hit some buttons and... Okay, we'll just... Let's so say it's quiet here. Yeah, hopefully... We're, we're in kind of a side room here in this in this place. Yeah, we should be relatively safe down here, don't you think? I don't see anything wrong. I mean, the only, the only thing that, that slightly creeps me out about this place is when we walk through that tunnel... Uh, my my feelings kind of hurt. Yeah, it's this, this closet over here. I thought I heard someone in there too. In the closet? Yeah. Okay, let's just uh, let maybe just focus on our podcast. Okay. And okay, hopefully, 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 uh, hopefully, nothing too out of the ordinary will happen. Okay. There. Okay, that's good. All right. Well, um, hi, I'm Nick. Oh, hello, I'm Tim. And we're your podcast host today. We're glad to have you here. Yes, where we are. Wherever we are. So, um, you said the Swan, right? Yes, I, I saw it on. There was a sign. Oh, a sign. Okay. I don't know what that means. I don't see any swans anywhere. So. No, it doesn't seem remotely zooish. Probably someone just with some high fluting ideas of themselves. Yeah, may probably, name this place. Probably true. All right, Tim. Well, should we go and get started? Oh, uh, what are we gonna do? Story school. All right, so today we decided to talk about linear, nonlinear stories, or linear and nonlinear. I, I had a high, I had a, I had a backslash in my head. Okay, let's start I was going to say, how do, how do we have a linear, nonlinear <laughs> okay, story? Let's let's start over again. So we're going to start about linear stories and nonlinear. The differences, the benefits, why you would use them, um, are they of the devil? This should be a straightforward discussion. Yes. Toronto. Or is it? Did you just say that? Okay. Um, <laughs> so let's start with the obvious. Let's just start with a couple of definitions. Linear stories. They go in a straight line. Much like time. Yes. Beginning, middle, end. Mm-hmm. Now, most stories are like this. Because most human life is like this. We get born, and then we live, and then we die. I mean, most of us are not Benjamin Button, who... Still was born, lived, and died, and so it's not it, his life is only linear as well. <laughs> it's linear, pretending not to be linear. Yes, we'll get to that later. Okay, uh, <laughs> but obviously linear. There's not a lot to talk about because you got middle. It, it just imitates life. It imitates how we live every day. Uh-huh. But I think we have to realize that there is a lot of power to that because we have progressive revelations of our life. We learn things. You know, that's what a lot of novels are. Just the progression of who I was to who I'm becoming, or not knowing everything to knowing this thing. Yeah, and in stories especially that are about, say, a character's life, that are kind of a, a long picture journey, mm-hmm. like this linear format is imperative. I mean, that, well, I mean, it is everything. It is yeah. a story. And it, you have this long sense of accomplishment if you go through this life's journey with a character yeah. in that sort of story. And I think what's important about linear is that it builds on itself. You know, every moment adds up to the previous moment. And when you know that thing, because that'll help us understand, why would you not do that? (laughs) Yeah. Because gut reaction is you start at the beginning and then you move towards the end. I mean, mystery novels do that. Other things do that. But I think it is a, a, 
you can't say that only modern people do the nonlinear. I think we do it a lot more. Mm-hmm. But you even have evidence like in uh, the Odyssey. Are there flashbacks in the Odyssey? Most of it's him telling the story of what happened to him. Okay, that's so true. So it's, it's flashback-ish. There's you've got the the idea of of a storyteller recounting. Yeah, yeah. Or, or even the Bible. Sometimes the events won't actually be in chronological order. They'll be juxtaposed for purposes. Okay, that's an inter- interesting point. I mean, this partly be, yeah, all the the stories are kind of. You know, you've got your section of history here, then your yeah. section of prophecy here, but this section of prophecy related to this section of history. My my pointing to different areas is not very helpful over the podcast. <laughs> or <but>. even, <laughs> you know, or even, I don't know how it works out, but like in Genesis, you have Joseph being abducted, and then you have like Judah and Tamar's story. Okay. Um, and those don't necessarily have to be one after another. They they seem to be there because they're making points of Potiphar's wife and Joseph versus... Judah and Tamar. Oh, that's interesting. I never thought of it that way. I thought it was, I always tend to think of it more as like concurrent action. And it might be, but it wouldn't have to be. And I've heard New Testament scholars say, I don't remember which gospel, but like some of the gospels are chronological, but they think at least this one is largely ordered more thematically. Okay. I I can see that. I mean, there's certain thematics, I think, to each of the gospels. Yeah. Um, Which one do you, is the most chronological? I don't remember. I want to say Luke just because he's Luke, but. Matthew might be very chronological, too. Mark's probably the one that's just kind of... I don't know. I don't want to say too much and be wrong. Um, (laughs) Sure. Or like the end of 2 Samuel seems to flash back... No. Yeah, 2 Samuel seems to talk about some stuff that happened earlier in King David's reign. Like when you talk about the Mighty Man and stuff. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's a good point. So, again, that's ancient literature. But we've never been completely beholden, even old literature, to strictly linear. Obviously, linear makes most sense most times, but we're already discovering... There's times to not do it. Mm-hmm. I do think it's it's interesting before we move away from yeah. linear structure that even when you have a nonlinear story, what is your natural instinct? Where does this fit in the linear timeline? Yeah, we want we always want to order it that way. Yeah, in some ways, even a certain TV show that we like a lot, and yeah. actually we've been very good, much better at not mentioning as much lately. Yes, because it's just gotten kind of lost in the background, um, but. Lost. <laughs> There's this thing that some people like to do. Uh, I think they've actually, someone has actually edited the entire show in chronological That's order, bizarre. which so, is weird. <laughs> so let's transition then to nonlinear. Okay. Of the different nonlinear is that the events that you see are not in the order they happened, mm-hmm. which is basically every episode of Lost. <laughs> um, but other shows, I mean, you have... Um, Once Upon a Time. One, anything with flashbacks. Flashbacks are probably the most common nonlinear device. Yes. There are other ones, but the flashback, and sometimes it'll be simple, is like sometimes shows will start with event in like 24 hours later or earlier oh yeah you know and th- th- all they really did was take the end and moved it to the beginning to create suspense yeah an exciting thing this exciting thing is going to happen what were the events that led to that but what's interesting about nonlinear stories i think when done well again you get some crazy nonlinear stories like cloud atlas which is complicated to watch because there's like six plot lines that are just kind of shuffled together and mm-hmm. there is an order to it but it's it's harder to it's not like flashback you know it's like Six stories. <laughs> <laughs> and, and try to sort them all out at the same time. Yeah, which yeah. is really clever. I mean, probably the best reason to watch it is just to see, what are they doing here? Uh-huh. Um, or a lot of movies by Christopher Nolan. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Memento is one of the most... Memento. Except, well, in 
I think you mentioned this at one point that uh, in one of the commentaries somewhere he said it's actually a very linear story. Although it's when you first watch it, you think it's completely nonlinear because yeah. it seems to have one thing comes before another thing, yeah. and then, but there's in a cut with this other scene with the guy. So it's it looks like it's sort of all over the place, though the progression is actually very linear. It's just backwards. Well, and that's an interesting for I think for nonlinear work. Just like linear stories have progression. You're learning stuff. You're not nonlinear runs the same way that you're still progressing in knowledge. Normally, like with the flashback, hmm. the flashback is a way of getting you knowledge. Uh-huh. As opposed to just a guy saying, Hey, here's what happened to me. Well, and the flashback works really well in cinematic language mm-hmm. anyway, whether it's an actual movie or whether it's a TV show, because visual storytelling is a lot of correlation to things. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I've talked in here, and I don't want to go too far into it, but Hitchcock had that famous example, or he liked to teach, where you can use the same set of pictures, say an older man um, looking at something, and then uh, another shot of an older man smiling. And what you cut in between those two shots can tell you, say, two different things about the man. If you show the cut of him looking at something, and it's like a family on a picnic, and he smiles, oh, he's a grandfatherly type. But if you cut in instead a woman in a bikini... Well, he's a dirty old man. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And it's the same shot. It's the same it's the exact same footage. So, but and that's very similar to how flashback works in a mm-hmm. sense. You see a character doing one thing, then you have a flashback scene that kind of explains something that happened in his past or, you yeah. know, that 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 gives definition to the present scene yeah. where he's at now. You're still you're still progressing in your understanding, but you're almost getting emotional or, or non, you, you're getting information as opposed to just events yeah. in some ways. I mean, hopefully, you know, the flashback, then when you come back from it, you understand more about the person. And it's not just bad flashbacks. It's like, we give you a flashback so you can see something they did. I've been re-listening to old podcasts, all y'all. <laughs> and our first, uh, we were talking about the event. Oh, yeah. Remember the event? The event, guys. Um, it was not an event. Um, <laughs> if you have no idea what it was, well, you're not alone. Sidetrack number one, I think. You can go listen to us talk about it. Yeah, it, was, other places. it was a sh- very short-lived TV show. But we were complaining about the flashbacks. They were like showing us stuff, but it didn't even matter to what was happening oh, actually. Really? And one, at least one, we're like, yeah, that flashback just kind of happened. Uh-huh. And that happened. So, you know, people were like, well, flashbacks are cool now, especially back then. <laughs> yeah. Of course, the other problem with flashbacks, and you can stop me if this is too much of a tangent, is if you become too dependent on them, and this is where Once Upon a Time has problems Weekly hijack. (laughs) Yeah, you you can hear us complain about this on Weekly Hijack, but sometimes you get like, how many secrets and backstories can you add into these characters that like, oh, we didn't know about this event, and sometimes they're able to, even if you've seen these characters for a long time, sometimes they're still able to pull out something really interesting, but then other times, it's like, you guys just really wanted to fill in time with a flashback to the... So I hate, when I was thinking about this topic, I came up with I think a question that you can ask if you make you decide you want to make a nonlinear story. Okay. I think if when you put it in order you lose something, it should be a nonlinear story. Ooh, interesting. But I think it's okay. It's kind of cool to put lost in linear order, but I think you lose something putting into into a linear order. linear order that the episodes themselves are you lose something from the episode by putting it in the order. That time happened. Well, you'd certainly lose something thematically because, and I th- I, yeah, that's what I'm meaning. Yeah, yeah like a, a certain episode often has a specific theme of what's going on, and if you like, say Charlie's, well, actually, a lot of Charlie episodes, but let's go with greatest hits, where yeah. it's like he writes out a list of five greatest things. If you were just to see them splashed 
you know, littered throughout his his life, we wouldn't have the kind of meaning that him writing out that yeah. his greatest hits list right before he dies, you yeah. kind of lose that impact. But you think if you're just trying to be clever, not only, oh, I'm just not going to tell an order. Uh-huh. I think the real test then is, is the story have more meaning, more theme, more something by not telling it in order? And if not, you're just being clever mm-hmm. or ridiculous, you know? And I think maybe a linear story should lose something by mixing it up. I mean, yeah, because you should choose the what you're trying to highlight should either be strengthened by, hey, we're going to just go A to B to C, or it should be strengthened by I'm going to go A to F to B to uh-huh. Z. I, and I do, I do wonder though, the people who have put Lost in a linear order, I do wonder then if it's maybe that losing something is the wrong way to look at it. Maybe it's just a completely different experience. Well, that could, yeah, I Be- could see that. Because I'm, I, I, I've read some forum posts about people talking about what this experience felt like. And I mean, in a sense, you've got like, because you're going to have to start like time-wise of the world. So that means <laughs> you you probably start with Richard Albert coming to the island yeah. and then seeing these strange people for repeatedly appear throughout time period. So you, so right away, you know, okay, these people are important for some reason. Then you go see their lives about what led them to that. I, it'd be interesting it'd be to, just different it'd experience. It'd be interesting to do a... Have anyone watched that has not seen the lo- seen Lost? I believe I believe there were some commenters who had, yeah. Hmm. Okay, I mean, I could be, I could be converted that maybe it just becomes a different thing. And I guess what I mean by loss is you lost your vision. No pun intended. You lost your vision of what it was supposed to, you know. Yeah. It's become, yeah, it's a different beast then. It's not something the creators intended, obviously, but it's... I mean, it's nice. It's unique, yeah. But yeah, I, I, I do think, especially in the case of Lost, you'd lose so much of the character impact yeah. in the in the modern day stuff. Yeah, I, I think the, the island stuff would be boring would <laughs> well, it would suffer in in some ways i mean in some like a lot of it would seem a lot more mundane in some ways it just yeah about the castaways living out on the island because there's there's a stretch of time when the castaways are not necessarily involved in life <laughs> in life or death stakes i've written nonlinear a few times um probably my most nonlinear is the house of the living which is a a story in the destroyer world nathan's book destroyer okay mm-hmm. um and it's very purposely kind of scattered there's this obviously this thread of things but there's kind of like he's constantly having these random thoughts or digressions or whatever uh-huh. and it's very much part of the, the story is about time and remembering and trying to escape and stuff like that the main thing i remember from that story is the end was kind of messed up well yes yeah <laughs> um i think donna plays really well to do mysteries and stuff sometimes where you want to keep hmm. something hidden i mean again Lost. Use that a lot. You know, you want to keep something hidden and reveal at the right time with double the impact. That's true. I guess you, you said earlier that mysteries in some ways are very linear and detective often has a cause effect, but you often have flashbacks within your mystery to kind of show. That's true. Kind of. Or so at worst, you, you have the, I'll tell you how I really did it, <laughs> you know, and basically you just talk it out. Talk it out. Yeah. Yeah. Which is not, is that nonlinear? If you just talk out what you did? Not really. None. I guess not. I mean, usually when they talk those things out, you you're seeing if if it's in a movie Video, or TV yeah. show, yeah, it's you're you're seeing it reenacted. I, I also when I think about this, I think there's also the fake nonlinear. Oh, okay. we have a lot of time travel shows nowadays. Doctor Who, Doctor Who, and I think while you're traveling through time, the story you're actually seeing is not it, it's still linear. 
Yeah, mm-hmm. you might start in the future and end up in the past and go around the middle. But most our two stories are still linear. Yeah, the, the most convoluted story I can think that went in that direction was probably the involving River Song and what was her, it, season series six? Yeah, her story is nonlinear. Yeah. But the doctor's story has always been, except maybe well, in a few cases. Well, yeah, that's true. I Yeah, not her story in particular over the course of the show, but even more specifically, the there was that one very convoluted season that started out where, where looking like the, the astronaut who oh, killed yeah. the doctor, and then you find out blah, 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 yeah, blah. Yeah, I, I guess the season was nonlinear, but the individual episodes weren't as much. Probably, well, I don't, I don't know. Okay, I guess, hmm. It's hard to it's hard to exp- it is hard to describe because now I'm thinking about it, there were some convoluted hoops to go through. Because it seems like me that Lon Lear as a story should count towards the scenes the characters that we're seeing the character live through are not in the order the character lived through them. Yeah, that's right. Because in, I remember in the beginning of that season, you see the Doctor first, and then you see the Doctor later. But the later Doctor you see is it's actually younger. is younger, is actually earlier in the Doctor's timeline than yeah. who you saw earlier, yeah. which is. Yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> because, because I think you know sometimes we'll have the trappings of non-linear. Oh, we're traveling, we're messing with time, but the story we're telling is still for the person living it, A to B to C. I think it would be really difficult to have a time travel story with a character with the main character, or at least one character whose progression through it wasn't wasn't linear. Oh man, because you're even if you have some character whose stuff like River Song, whose story isn't linear. You have to have some sort of grounding, I think, yeah. if you're going to do the time shenanigans. Yeah, I'm going to call it. Natasha, question. Time Traveler's Wife, you read that. Was that from the position of the person not jumping through time or through, from the position of the person jumping through time? The wife or the husband? Oh, okay. Time Traveler's Wife, I've never read it, but it's about... Natasha said she can't remember. Yeah. I'm sure the Michael didn't pick That's that true. up. So. Time Traveler's Wife is a book about lady married to a time traveler. Okay. And so there, it's very... Disjointed. I can't. Again, I haven't read it, so I don't know how nonlinear it is, or it just feels, mm-hmm. you know, the fake nonlinear. Like, yeah, <laughs> times be messed with. You right. know, Back to the Future Two. Mm-hmm. You feel chaotic, but really, it's still Marty McFly's. You know what was interesting about that movie when we rewatched it? When was it last year or whatever? When the when we were in the future? Oh yeah, of that. They go through a lot of trouble explaining that one, but it's interesting. You know, since then, if, either because of that movie or because of Doctor Who, it, it felt much more not rudimentary, but like you could tell they're trying very hard to explain to make sense. Where it's like it's second like nature now. It's second nature now. We kind of have a a real keen idea of how time travel works now. It does seem that non-linear stories are much more popular now. It's sort of the more postmodern. Yeah, there's thing. that whole like understanding who you are through your past. Like that's a very, you know, psychology, and a, it is a very postmodern idea. And I think we, I think writers just are much more free with wanting to mess with time as an element of the story itself, as opposed to. Well, it's seen as something a little more creative, a little more out of the box. Um, you can argue how much it is, or uh, unanchored even. Or what? Unanchored. Like, you know, there's sort a sort of I'm talking philosophically. Oh. You know, yeah. it's it's more unanchored from convention. You know, it's it's freer like, from what you have to expect. Oh no, and and also just a world a story that's nonlinear has more of a sense of chaos about it. You know, if that's mm. you know more your worldview that there's we have no, you know, the yeah. world the, the things fall apart. Yeah. And that's yeah, that, that can be an aspect of it too. I'm trying to think of another good example. Solar House five, I haven't read for a long time. That one jumps around in time okay. quite a bit. He's a time traveler too, but it's between World War II and modern day and aliens abdu- being abducting him. It's Kurt Vonnegut. Very good book from what I remember, but I haven't read it since sophomore year. 
Okay. I saw a play of it. I'm like, there's no way they can make a play of it. And it was a very good play. Interesting. Yeah. It was one of those movie, one of those plays I'm like, or movies I'm like, or books. It was one of those <laughs> books that I'm like, there's no way you can make a play. Oh, you did. That works. Cool. Yeah. Good book if you have not read it. Mm-hmm. Also, because it's on my notes, Sound of the Fury, when we talked about that. Oh, yeah. Um, that we have two characters. One character, um, I cannot remember the names now. He's the he's a mentally deficient character. Okay. Yeah. He, he's images and sounds will just move him from one time period to another in his head. Mm-hmm. And so you're just slipping from one time in his life to another. And it's it's very confusing until you get the hang of it. I mean, there is a sense to it, but it's it's abstract. I mean, it's postmodern. And then there's another character who will kind of just go on these you know, it's like he lives in the things in the past will come up and affect who he is and he'll go in these mm-hmm. long tirades and it's not quite not as non-linear there the first section is by far the most and it's if you want to read something that's truly jumping all over the place mm-hmm. i'd recommend that apparently the cloud atlas book is much like the movie but i've not read that uh-huh. now what do you think about i mean obviously we have a, we come from a certain worldview perspective mm-hmm. on this but uh do you find that you found it interesting, obviously, in The Sound of the Fury. Do you find it, it's a, a sort of like all over the place that, you know, don't even bother trying to like put this in order kind of challenge? Do you think it's generally useful or is it more of a gimmick? I think it's best used when the entire idea where there's thematic things in the story itself that play into being chaotic. I mean, that's mostly when I use it, it's that the whole idea of being unhinged or being unconnected or or being lost Mm. plays into the theme. I'm a big one where structure and theme should go together. And that's a whole nother story school. Uh (laughs) Um, But like, that's why Silent Fury does not seem gimmicky at all because it seems like part and parcel of of what he's saying or or, or what he's trying to make you feel and follow through. And I think that's how I use it in House of the Living. I'll just do flashbacks just because... Like um, Two in the Wells, the first, the Bron and Kalia selects bodyguard. Uh-huh. It goes back and forth, flashbacks. It's it very simply, it's not linear, but in the very simple flashback sort of way. True. And the flashbacks themselves aren't necessarily linear. Um, Are they? I think they get progressively closer to the cataclysm. I, well, I'm not sure about that. Isn't the I thought the first flashback was at the party, and then the second one was Kalia as a, as a child. Oh, you're right. They're not in order. But that one was very much... Obviously, it's partly the, hey, who are these characters sort of thing. But the, also, they really define the... The pre happened, and post. The pre and post chapters. It's highlighting yeah. the cataclysm. You mm-hmm. know, it's basically, you know, this is how things were, was. This is how things was. Yeah. Um, and this is how things are now. Yeah. And so, You've, again, it's another structure theme thing. You might see one character in a flashback, and then you find them dead in the, exactly. the present chapter. Yeah. And I think using nonlinear purposely to highlight something makes more sense than doing it just because everyone's doing it or just because I want to fill up time mm-hmm. or just because, well, this guy's not very interesting, so we're going to try to make him interesting. You know, yeah. the worst flashbacks on TV are the ones like, I didn't need that. You're just, mm. tell me what his tattoo's about. <laughs> I, I figured that would come in the I had, I had to somewhere. do that <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I think it was possible for a, an episode about how Jack had his tattoos to be interesting, <laughs> but they did not succeed. No. <laughs> um, so what do you think, Tim, about nonlinear stuff? I mean, you ask me, you do more of the video stuff. <laughs> well, I I agree with it, what you're saying. I think if it fits the form, that's that's all well and good. My question to you about the chaotic stuff, I, I really like that answer in that it makes sense if you're, like in your case, it was an actual unhinged person, kind of crazy. I think if you're not, I mean, it kind of goes to show that if too much of that is sort of 
not really rational. And it's, uh, again, basic storytelling. People still want, how does it start and how does it end? Mm-hmm. I mean, and your nonlinear storytelling, except possibly in a few cases, really needs to still answer the question, what do we learn on this journey? Uh-huh. Or um, you can do it for just a fun puzzle effect. There's an episode of Phineas and Ferb. Which I did not get around to watching. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't know if you would. Called The Remains of the Platypus. And if I remember right, it's been a little while since I've seen it. <laughs> But it's, I think it starts off in Doofenshmirtz's lair, and there's like a rave party going around, going on. Doofenshmirtz is like dancing in his underwear or something. <laughs> Carl is in a beaver suit in a, in a oh, cage. Carl. And then Linda, uh, Phineas and Ferb's mom, comes in and is like, um, I don't know what's happening, but uh, here you drop this. And she drops off Perry's hat. Yeah. <laughs> and then they go like, 12 hours earlier, and, and they, they, they go back and forth in time throughout the whole episode, but that's the setup, trying to figure out how yeah. all this happened. Well, and it works great for, for comedy, yeah, because it's like a, there's just something different about not doing things in order, uh-huh. and you've got to use it somehow if you're going to do it. Yeah, and so that's, that's just an example of, of having fun with yeah. that, that, sort that's of, true. that sort of avenue, or that sort of approach. Um, you've seen Pulp Fiction. Yes. It's, I suppose we should mention Tarantino, because he's famous for this. And it's actually the only Tarantino film I think I've watched all the way through. Um, that's it was about my limit. <laughs> but no, Pulp Fiction is, um, I'd say it uses its, its non-linearity for, for a good effect. I mean, Pulp Fiction is essentially a series of intercut stories. They each have their arc with their characters that kind of connect in, in between them. I mean, it's doing a lot of what Lost would want, wind up doing later, but in a two-hour movie format Mm -hmm. like the first scene takes place kind of in the middle of the timeline but then also right before the very last scene in the film okay so (laughs) now is the order seems like i've heard someone say that it's all mixed up but it's not necessarily you could mix it up different it wouldn't have changed the that's um, hmm again i haven't seen it so i don't know i'd have to think about that but i'm not entirely like the very last storyline works well as an ending i think even though it's not it works well as an ending, even though it's kind of in the middle of the timeline or toward the lat- latter half of the timeline, yeah. we'll say. But it works decently as an ending because it, the Samuel L. Jackson character has a redemption okay. moment. Even though you know about certain characters who will wind up dead later on, you know that it's kind of a nice way to tie things up. Yeah. So that one, at least some of the other stories I could see making a case for, but that one at the very least, I think is a good placement. Now, two, two other questions about fake nonlinear, if they are or not. First off, movie, uh, movies that go backwards, like Memento. I wrote mm-hmm. a short story one time that went backwards. Are those linear? What do you say? Well, they're untraditional linear at the very okay. least. <laughs> so like you could say, because Christopher Nolan apparently said Memento was linear just backwards. Yeah. Um, but it's not linear in the traditional sense. It's, so. it's, it's C to B to A. Yeah, exactly. Or how about movies where they repeat themselves? Groundhog Days or, uh, you know, what's the one, Edge of Tomorrow where... Um, oh, yeah, it is. Well, but in both of those, it's still you still have your central character who is, even though he's experiencing the same things, he still has changing. a linear progression. That's yeah, true. he remembers. I would, agree. So I would agree. I would say that's still linear. I just thought we should cover our bases. Yeah, that's true. In case anyone in the comments says, you didn't mention. But if we did miss something, uh, feel free to leave us a comment. Yes. We haven't had any comments on the blog in a while. I'm very sad at derailtrainsofthought.blogspot.com. Visit us, please. So yeah, I think that's a good coverage of uh, linear versus nonlinear. Awesome.
I was trying to see if I could say that backwards, but I, I couldn't come. I couldn't. You you wanted to talk me into doing this in a nonlinear fashion, and I was like, I don't really see how that would work. Yeah, I thought I thought a little bit. I'm like, I can't think of a good way where it would actually be funnier or better. It'd so, just be confusing. It'd just be confusing. So, I mean, so audience, we decided not to just be confusing because we knew it wouldn't be better. Now, I guess I should say that we have we have done story school not very often. Like there was one episode at least where we did story school in the second half. So I yeah. guess that would be a flip flop, but there is. That's not so much nonlinear; it's just a change. Yeah, well, it's, we only did that because we had um, cinema selections in the first half, and then yeah. we thought, you know, we talked about a specific horror movie, and then we talk about horror in general. Yeah, so it worked in that situation. But we might really have to do a good discussion on form and content sometime. I yeah, I think that's what I would like to do. Okay, right. So Tim, would you like to do a soundtrack? I would be glad to do a soundtrack. Uh, be a drink of water. <laughs> be sure you wash out those uh, glasses in that sink over there. So I found this on vinyl. Okay, not really. Um, I brought this along with me because it pertains in some ways more to uh, our second half than the first. So it's out of order? I guess so. <laughs> we did it. We've got our nonlinearity in here. Awesome. So this is a cover. It's not from OC Remix. This is from YouTube. A uh, cover of Valse de Fantastica, uh, which is a song from Final Fantasy XV, which might be a hint. In the original game, this is a class, kind of a classical sounding song. But YouTuber Alvariu, if I'm saying that right, uh, he did a folk cover of it. Nice. Which I think is kind of fun because Final Fantasy XV is kind of a modern fantasy as opposed to a uh, more traditional fantasy. But th this version of the song sounds like it would be in a more medieval kind of setting. Nice. So hope you enjoy.
That was nice. I, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. The, the Final Fantasy 15 soundtrack is very nice. It is. I'm like, why hasn't the Overclock remix done anything yet? Come on, guys. You had like a couple month, weeks. <laughs> Months, actually. Yeah. It, it came out in November. Oh, oh, yeah. Yeah. So they, they really need to get on. Well, it's probably there's probably something in the queue, but they're always way behind on that stuff. Oh, yeah. That's entirely possible. So anyways, we'll go next to our take on Tales. Right, it's been a little bit since we've done this. I think. Oh uh, yeah, a few minutes. Well, we did in December. December we, in December we did our uh, group take so, on tales. Tim um, will end up doing something that's very uh, related to our last song. Um, <laughs> I was trying to think. So what do I want to talk about? Of the things I've, I thought I'd talk about Pilgrim's Progress. I thought you might because well, first off, it's very linear. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it is. You're like you start in the town and you go to the celestial city. Um, no, but. I think it was interesting one to talk about because, you know, for many years, it was basically the second most popular book mm. ever. Yeah. You know, it was the Bible and then it was Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. And it was one of those books I'm always like, I should read that someday. As I read the first, the first original one, there's also part two, which I have not read yet, which about oh, okay. Christina. I think Watch. they actually call it Christiana. Oh, that's right. Right. I, yes, I haven't read it yet. Um, <laughs> yes, Christiana, you are correct. Um, anyways, if you don't know, because it's not as popular now as it once was, Pilsen's Progress is by, I always want to say Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan, <laughs> um, and it's an allegory of the Christian life from basically becoming Christian and moving towards heaven. Mm -hmm. And the allegory is hard to get used to. It's I, very I, allegorical. Yes. I, I read this a long time ago, I think in like elementary school, like an abridged version. Yeah. But yes, I'm so familiar. I started, I'm like, I'm just, I'm just, I'm not dealing well with the, you know, I'm like, okay, whatever, this and that. And yeah, okay, the flaw despond. Yeah, you get stuck there. And then, oh, the, the narrow gate. Yeah, that's the narrow gate Jesus wants you to walk through. And I'm kind of like, whatever. And it didn't help that the notes with it, like explaining things were just kind of unhelpful and dumb. But the farther I got into it, the more I started to appreciate why it's such a long work, a well-known work. Mm -hmm. It is, first off, very unwavering in its in its what it's doing. I mean, it just mm -hmm. it is what it is, and it does it very very well. I mean, yeah, it's a heavy allegory, but it, it's very convincing just because it it's all in. Mm -hmm. And the deeper to get into it, the more you get used to it. You know, it's such a foreign thing to read something that you know the character is not really a character. <laughs> I mean, he doesn't really have hopes by or dreams. Or, I mean, he's, yeah. he's just a symbol. And everyone is just a symbol. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's very weird for us who are like, no, but what does he actually feel like? And what does he, you know, he's like, he'll say, I remember this. You're like, no, you don't. We never saw that. Um, <laughs> they didn't have flashbacks? I know, exactly. <laughs> um, and then sometimes, like, early on, I'm like, but where does this fit? This makes sense. You're like, it seems like he's just going from thing to thing and not, you know, like, okay, so this was the Pilgrim Christian life, but why is this here and not later on? So, you know, in some ways I wanted, I put too much on other things I wasn't used to it. But the deeper it got in, there's a lot of, for a Christian, a lot of truth in this book. Hmm. And a lot of things that are, I mean, we don't think about often enough. You're like, oh yeah, that, and that's really right. And then the, and then some of the allegory worked particularly well. I mm -hmm. mean, there's the one that I, one of the ones I remember most was he's captured by the, by the giant despair. By a giant named Despair or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's just stuck. And the giant keeps talking about how he's going to kill him the next day and how they're just despairing of life. And then they, they remembered, oh, wait, they have a key called Promise. And they use it to get out. You know, and it's a very dark section. And mm -hmm. you, you feel, and I think the note said that John Bunyan had some depression and stuff. And, you know, just 
this, you know, this idea of being locked in a dungeon by a giant, and you feel like he just comes out and tells you how you're going to just die and you're not worth anything. And then constantly, constantly beats on you, beats and- on you. And then do, you know, kind of have this, but wait, I have these promises from God and it unlocks all the doors. They get out. It, I don't know. It worked really well for me. Maybe just where I, you know, the sort of understandings I have of things. Mm-hmm. Um, so certainly I'm not sure how much a non-Christian would get out of it. I mean, it was certainly artistically there. There's something to be said for his. He does settings fairly well from what I remember. Yeah, I mean, you got the Vanity Fair. You know, that, I mean, that's famous enough that it got a whole book named after it later yeah. by uh, Thackeray. And a magazine, too, if I remember right. Yeah, I don't know why, though, because that's a horrible thing. Vanity yeah. Fair is not a good thing. Yeah. I'd, why would you name a magazine after that? I I, I don't understand um, that mindset. I mean, yeah, he does, he has some powerful images, and the, the theological talk is actually pretty interesting, you know, if you have theological background. Mm-hmm. And he is just very convincing. He just he just sells it. And I've heard that I've read that in there that this sort of pilgrim allegory was not a new thing. Like there had been other things beforehand he had read, but it kind of was like the paragon. It's like you know sure. the culmination of all these sort of literary types up to this point. Yeah, I, I can totally see that because I remember when I was a theater minor reading about how. The church was actually involved in a lot of the early plays. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a period of time where church saw the theater as a place of evil because it kind of became kind of, you know, rowdy and yeah. probably kind of some hedonism. But originally, the passion plays, like mm-hmm. retelling Bible stories, especially when people, the, most people weren't literate. Yeah. Um, it was the way they got their Bible stories a lot of times. And the character Everyman is kind of a precursor, yeah. precursor to um, Christian and Christian. Pilgrim's Progress. Yep. Yeah. And he's the Everyman plays about a guy basically going through Christian life. Yeah. Very, very similar in style to Pilgrim's Progress. Yeah. I think I liked it most when he's having theological discussions with various people mm-hmm. and and less when it's trying to be like almost a story but it's just allegory but not quite it does it, it, yeah. it just maybe it's just my modern sensibilities well that and you've been a student of tolkien for so long exactly yeah <laughs> tolkien hates allegory and there's yeah. and i think there is a place for allegory but i think there's so much to be said for not allegory as well mm. so anyways very interesting book i'm glad to have read it i'm when i have another section time i'll read the sequel which i guess is more corporate more like church life sort of focus i i could see that i mean um, I, I never thought about it in those terms i mean christiana in some ways she has a easier time of it i mean mm. she faces her own unique challenge well, that's is one of the interesting things about it is you get to see someone go through in some ways the same journey but also having experienced different, different things, things which is true for the christian and, and life must have, i mean and you can you have to give bunyan a lot of credit for it. he he obviously was very aware of a lot of the different temptations and worries and mm. what people, you know, he had a good understanding of people. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, I think it's, they say they praise also just because it's very readable for the common person. He's written very relatively low language. Uh-huh. Anyways, yeah. So for what it is, it was actually ended up being very enjoyable. It took me a long, it took me a while to get into it, but then it, it was pretty compelling. It'd be interesting to read. I've never read. Um, C.S. Lewis did his own kind of Pilgrim's Regress. Yeah, that's what it's called. I would like to read it sometime. Yeah, it would be it would be fascinating to do. Maybe we'll, I might have to put that in book club sometime. That'd be a good idea. So tell yeah, me, we, keep it yeah, there's a lot of stuff we could talk about from book club, but we won't <laughs> do that. No, do you remember Pilgrim's Regress? That is, is that actually a fictional one, or is that a using using it as? I mean, I guess allegory. I think it's an allegory of his own his own kind of turning back to religion, okay. from my understanding. Okay. I've heard a couple quotes of it by Ravi, Ravi Zacharias who quote parts of it sometimes. Man, so there's probably some overlap with Surprise by Joy there, I guess. Maybe. I don't I don't know enough about it. It's one of those books okay. that 
I've never actually met anyone who's read it. Okay, yeah. <laughs> now I think about it, I'm not sure. Dr. I have Jordan either. probably has. Uh, yeah, Dr. Jordan, that would make sense. Okay. Okay. That's so that's that's my my take on Tales. And I know you have one you're very excited about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, how could you tell? Uh, his is not linear. Well, yours is both. Um, yeah, it is a bit of both. Um, I'd say linear for the most part. But yes, I'm gonna talk about Final Fantasy fifteen. So this is a complete different. Now topic do we have to put a spoiler alert here or are you gonna keep it vague? Um I will. I don't think it will need this, but I don't think I'll go. Well, minor yeah, spoilers. Maybe minor, very minor spoilers. So if you're really picky about that sort of thing, but I, I won't go into too into too much detail. I don't think. Probably since this is a storytelling podcast, just focus on the story first. Uh, so Final Fantasy 15 story focuses on Prince Noctis, who is uh, his kingdom has been in, in battle with uh, Niflheim Empire for a long time. <sighs> And for some reason, this empire has requested that he get married to Lady Lutafreya, who is an oracle that they have that was for one of the countries that they had previously conquered. Anyway, as part of their peace agreement, so he's off on a road trip basically to do that. However, in the process, or fairly early on in the journey, they find he finds out that his capital city was taken. It was all kind of a ruse. The empire comes in and. It's just kind of bad all around. Um, also, King's life. Yes. Well, you're getting ahead of yourself here. <laughs> Nonlinear. Um, so that's that's the that's the thumbprint of the of the picture. But yes, one of the unique things about Final Fantasy 15 is that it had media tie-ins to the game before the game came out, um, which I was a fan of. Like in particular, there's there are two main things: the Brotherhood anime, which I think is phenomenal. Um, basically, it was a five-episode anime of about 15 minutes each that uh, they they premiered for free online on YouTube. I thought this was brilliant marketing, actually, because it gives you a chance to get to know the main characters because Noctis is on this road trip with his three bodyguards, best friends. And so you get to, not only you get to know them on their trip, but you get... Um, it is quite entertaining. It is quite entertaining, and you get flashbacks, and you get to know this is where they put their flashbacks because it feel a little weird in a video game mm-hmm. so this is where you get to get some more about the background of each of the characters which is really cool and yeah being able to fall in love with the game and being able to fall in love with the characters before you even play the game i think is just brilliant marketing king's glaive uh, i might come back to king's glaive i think king's glaive is a little trickier so that one is focused on what happens in the capital while noctis is gone which i watched with you which was quite enjoyable yes it is quite enjoyable the challenge some people have, the one thing people have said about this, though, is that it can almost feel to some like a cash grab. Like you're having all these merchant tie-ins, which, okay, first off, the anime is free, so it's not really that. But there's, there's a legitimate argument to be said that the story should be complete within the game itself. You shouldn't feel like you need an extra... Now, do you think the story is a complete game? I mean, the game is a complete story. <laughs> See, that's it's tricky from my standpoint to say because I saw Brotherhood first. So I think arguably yes, but I have heard some people make the case that they kind of do just kind of throw you in with some of the characters and sort of expect you. I mean, there really is a lot of backstory. Not that it's vital to understanding the characters, for instance. This is a bit of a spoiler, but it's you find out early on in the anime. Prompto was an overweight as a child, um, the blonde kid, okay. who's kind of the comic relief. In the game, he's not at all. Yeah. But you find out how he 
basically how he was inspired from Lady Luna Freya herself okay. to become Noctis's friend while he was in school. They were in yeah. the same school, but he had to basically work up the courage to basically be fit enough to and have the self confidence okay. to even approach him and become a friend. Now, do you think them. they would even put that in the in the in the game? Game though, I mean, I, it seemed like something that made the. Creators knew what they wouldn't even put in or maybe even just mentioned in some dialogue. Yeah, exactly. I don't know that in the context of the main story of the game, if you would even have a good opportunity to do it. But knowing that really does, there are a lot of callbacks to that even in the game where like, you know, if you want to go hang out at some restaurant and one of the other characters will say, yeah, you'll just get fat if you do that. And he'll prompt will be like, yeah, yeah, I know. And, you know, this, that, you know, there are little nods so, to it, so which it is adds, nice. adds layers, but you wouldn't need it. You wouldn't need it. Um, one of the interesting things about this game, though, is that it really is kind of a case of there's a lot of interesting experimentations with how you tell a story in video game medium. It's something that that uh, game developers are still sort of exploring with because the problem is sometimes either a game is so linear and that you, you know, forces you to kind of go down this one path and you yeah, have no, like lots of cut scenes it, yeah. and there's not, there's not much, there's not much player interaction with the story. That's why here's Xenosaga is like, yeah, that's kind of the famous one. On the other hand, then you have, your games that are, you know, completely open world, completely up to, you know, other stuff. And there might be a storyline, but it's usually a lot of players say like, yeah, but I, I got too distracted doing this other stuff, which to me says it's not a very strong storyline. Yeah. So I, it's a very hard balance. And Final Fantasy 15 gets around this in a way by your road trip thing. You do have open control of where you go. And if you want to com complain about the story, arguably the first half of the game is so open-ended that it's it's almost a little plot holy in that like well wait my my father the king is reportedly just died and then the the country is in the hands of the enemy shouldn't I be more concerned and not like be doing all these side quest stuff <laughs> exactly yeah but on the other hand the side quests wind up becoming very important emotionally to the story later on because you really do feel like you develop bonds with your with your friends, with the bodyguards around you, you really grow to care and love these characters a lot. I think that can be true even if you haven't seen the anime. And like I said, it becomes a very nostalgic time. And they never really fully deal with the, the plot hole of, but this has happened, but I'm <laughs> going off and getting finding food for kittens and helping this... <laughs> Helping, taking pictures and going on hikes and having playing arcade games and all the, all these other and the side stuff is a lot of fun. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong. There's fishing. There's photography. There's cooking. There's very dramatic fishing. <laughs> Nick saw me doing some of those, and it's a very he plays very dramatic music when you've got a fish on the line. But then there's a part in the game toward the latter chapters where it suddenly becomes extremely linear. Um, there's a turning point, and then you go to another continent where instead of traveling by car. You start traveling by train. <laughs> so in tabletop role-playing world, this is called railroading, and yeah. they are literally doing that. But I think it's actually very clever because at that point in the story, the stakes have been raised and they continue to be raised. In fact, once you hit this turning point, suddenly just one thing after another goes wrong up until yeah. like we're talking post-apocalyptic levels here. And you said then the whole world you kind of care about. Yeah. Because you've been wandering around it for the first half of the... Yeah, yeah. And which is sort of an interesting reversal of the traditional role-playing game, like a lot of Final Fantasy stuff. 
normally in these games, you're going through the storyline, then there'll be a place somewhere before the last dungeon, the last boss, where you've got time, you can go, you got free reign in the world you to go explore. explore. Yeah, you can go do all the side quests and go do all this other stuff. But this is like, you have all that at the beginning, and so you get to explore the world first, and then you grow to care about the world and the characters, and then you want to go save it, because you need to. Um, and even after, once it gets into the post-apocalyptic levels, they have a nice game feature where you can essentially go back in time to um, essentially do all the side quest stuff that you didn't, which is get, nice. didn't get to before, which is really nice. You know, for gameplay mechanics, that makes sense. Yeah. The very ending of the game, I would almost say because of this, you know, Final Fantasy X had this uh, kind of bittersweet vibe throughout the whole thing. And you kind of knew it was kind of a good tragic ending because it is so light throughout most of fifteen. Even when things get dark, I was not expecting the game to have kind of a tragic ending, honestly. Yeah. honestly. That, that's one of the parts I have the most mixed feelings about, and, um, and we'll see. Now, you're close to it, but, okay, story-wise, like, there's a lot of things to factor in the video game, but how do you feel the story compares to other Final Fantasies? Or, or maybe just start with Noctis, with your main character. <laughs> I know you had... You, you had growing um, enjoyment of him as a character. Yes. he I, Noctis, I think, is one of my favorite protagonists uh, of the games I've played. Mm-hmm. Um, I've played 6, 7, 9, 10, and 12, um, at least completed. I've played a little bit of 8. Um, but Noctis is just a lot of fun because he's got the the kind of serious nature that your Cloud or Squall or some of your brooding mm-hmm. Final Fantasy characters have. He's got Because he, he's got this weight and responsibility on him. But at the same time, he also knows how to have fun, which is really nice. He's not like overly cheeseball as like Sora and Kingdom Hearts can be. Yeah. But uh, he's he's just the right. He's just a perfect balance of cool and yet also very noble. Okay. Um. So they, so he's a convincing character. He's. It's he's, not like all all four of the main characters are convincing. I I would I would argue so. I think I think they you get a good feel for each for how each from, one of them is. From the little I saw, it seemed like they're a lot more nuanced than than sometimes we almost you know old Final Fantasy you almost got like. Archetypes. Archetypes. That they, they filled out nicely and they were fun. But yeah. They seem like these guys are a little more like real people. You know, it it's funny. I complained in about twelve that I felt like I, I was dealing more with side quests and stuff than getting emotionally invested in the story. And you could arguably say like why wasn't that the case here? Well, I think it is because you grow to the characters all feel a lot more real than the twelve ones. There are some characters I liked in twelve, don't get me wrong. But there were also just some that I was very ambival- ambivalent mm-hmm. towards, kind of that archetype that you talked about. Do you have any less characters helped? Any what? L- you had less characters, I believe, right? Um, yeah, you have. You really only have four main characters in your party. You get some guests here and there, but it's, it's not like you're Final Fantasy VI. Here's fourteen characters. Have fun, <laughs> which is nice. Which is fun. Yeah. It's nice in its own way, but it gives it gives some credence to less is more theory in terms of having characters in these games. Okay, back to the harder question. How does the story compare to other Final I mean, they're all very different. They're they, they all very different. They all have their feels. I mean, and I, I wrestled for a little bit with... If you ask me what my favorite Final Fantasy is, I'd have a really hard time yeah. answering you. Objectively, I might say 6 is actually one of the best still because it's very hard to pick apart anything in that game. Yeah, it just... Everything works. Everything works that they're trying to do for that time period. I enjoy a lot of the story in this. I do think there are some people who criticize that it doesn't have enough storyline in it and they might have a bit of a case there. I would say I'm... I've put in about 61 hours in the game so far. I've had it for about three months. 
And I would guess, say, 20 hours of that is story, which okay. is kind of short for a story. It is kind of, for Final Fantasy, that is a little short. Yeah. It's basically um, modern ones. Yeah. Now, I know they're planning to do some, we live in this age of downloadable content now. I know some of what they have planned. In fact, there's one coming out in the end of this month that's a new storyline where you actually get to play as one of your bodyguards. Okay. Because there is a one point in the story where he actually leaves for a brief period, and this shows this is going to be the story of what happened when he went off to do his own thing okay. for a little while, which I think that'll be cool. And I think they plan to do more, to add more story um, missions with downloadable content like that. Mm-hmm. But I would say that might be one weakness of, of the of the game. The story is good, but you do have to do some some digging with whether through Kingsglaive and through other means just to find out. There were some things about even after I finished the main storyline, kind of the political situation that I was still kind of confused by. One thing that's kind of fun talking about that being a multimedia platform. One thing they did in Japan is they actually did an audio drama. Um, really? Yeah, with the characters before they left on the trip. It wasn't redone by the English voice actors, but they did release a translation oh, of the script. So, and that's available on their website, which is, it's pretty fun because it actually includes, it's, like I said, it's about the characters before they leave, but it includes some characters from Kingsglaive that don't appear in the oh, in the game nice. itself. So that's, that's pretty cool. Speaking of Kingsglaive, that's, I don't know if you remember that I said in that prologue, it kind of sets up, that could have been actually in the game and it would have been very useful. Okay. Um, Because you get bits and pieces and this is where they they borrow some of a modern convention, sort of like what uh, Greg has told me with Dark Souls, where there's a lot of information about the lore of the world that you can get from listening to a news report on the radio where there's books on the cosmology. But it's never downloaded. It's basically absorbed. It's basically absorbed and there's it's, it can be very easy to miss some stuff yeah. and like why am i going to see this this deity again what and it, and it seems like at least the setup early on is very very personally focused yeah like instead of the big empire thing at least early on i don't know it sounds like later on it must get empire focused but yeah yeah more so toward the end i mean and like i said it's a bit of a it's a bit of a flaw that i saw it coming I, it could be a problem even before the game came out that I'm running around my friends, but I also have, we're in a war, right? And this empire is kind of around, but they seem like more of a nuisance than anything. So yeah, like the the biggest problem the empire has for most of the game is they just randomly drop random encounters on you occasionally. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) But yeah, it builds. So I'm going along with this. So I'll, I'll just say, despite some of the flaws, one of the most fun things about this for me was that it was a brand new thing. This yeah. is the first time I played a Final Fantasy that no one else had told me, hey, you got to try this out, or they, you know, yeah. they had this prior experience. In some ways, this was my Final Fantasy. Nice. And so that was, that, that was really fun to experience. Awesome. I guess that's the end of our story school, then. Our take on tales. <laughs> You're going backwards, Nick. I'm going backwards. There is no earthly way of knowing... <laughs> In which direction we are going. We really didn't get that clip in here. Um, <laughs> I was going to say, is that your soundtrack? No, it, it should be. That'd be awesome. Really Wonka. Um, anyways, my soundtrack. First, we should do some contact info, though, right? Contact info. Contact. How do they contact us down here in this weird spot? Um, I'm not well, sure there's some communications come in, do they? There's some computers in that other room. Well, maybe. That some, might help. Uh, I mean, hopefully they're trustworthy. Sure they are. Why not? Yeah, there's no one else around here. So anyways, you can email us at derailedtrains at gmail.com if anyone emails us. We can't access it with these these computers look like, again, from the 70s. But I'm sure we'll get somewhere eventually. I mean, the reforms 
club didn't have computers either last. That's true. Yeah, that's a good point. In the meantime, also check out our website, dearoldtrainsofthought.blogspot.com iTunes, Stitcher. We're trying to we're trying to uh, do a, some updates to our our media. Yes, soon here. Though some of that might be uh, delayed a little bit. I will be in Brazil soon. That's right. Um, probably by the time this comes, right after this comes out, probably right I'll after this Brazil. comes out. Yeah, this hopefully, if all goes according to plan, this will be out a little earlier than we've been, kind of barely making our month deadline. Thirtieth, <laughs> but no, it should come out a little earlier this month. And then we'll always take you know new suggestions for things. We've been you know we've episode twenty seventy five. Lots of topics we've covered, and a lot more we can we have a good a good list. But we're always taking new ideas. Exactly. So have fun in Brazil, Nick. Yes, it should be it should be entertaining. I'll take taking all the kids. Gonna we'll do our our take on malaria. No, um, <laughs> I think you should take a picture of of all of you in like jungle garb. That'd be awesome. We should do that. Have you ever seen the ta- picture of Natasha with the anaconda on her neck? I don't. Maybe. Yep, we have one of those. Nice. You um, have an anaconda? Yes. No. <laughs> Not any longer. Just a picture. Um, okay. Yeah. Anyways, okay. So my soundtrack, um, I wanted to pick something from a very linear game. I did a search. I've never played this game. It's Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell Chaos Theory. They said the first one's actually more linear, but this one's still pretty linear. Talking, speaking of games that kind of point you in a straight line. Yeah, exactly. That, you kind of had to go point A to B. Not a lot of uh, free wor- uh, open world sort of stuff. Mm. This is remixed by Reg. It's uh, called Friendly Shadows, and it's kind of experimental because I like to do that to you guys. Ooh. So um, enjoy. And meanwhile, um, that beeping's going off again. Man, no. already? No, I thought it's not. It hasn't been long enough, no, probably. No, probably has not. <laughs> because I hear some people coming in the door. They seem angry. They're always they're always angry. Yeah, I don't know. I don't for some reason. I don't know. But um, we better we better uh, news. Yep, get out of here. Get lost. Get like a tree and leaf. Yep, exactly. So, um, well, what is it you always say? Get a make, get, like, make, make a tree and get out of here. Yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so, anyways, adios, everyone. Goodbye. Bye. Until next time, this is Tim. This is Nick. Bye.